If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80 volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm and, Dan. And Coastal Grandmas. And Coastal Grandma. That's what the style is called. Lulu. <laughs> Granny Lulu. I <laughs> uh, hope everybody listening today is doing well. Excited for today's supposedly true paranormal horror. For those of you who are new to Scared to Death, we have a nice little mashup of stories from around the world, uh, on the internet primarily, that we've, where we find them, told by me, followed by listeners submitted supposedly true paranormal horror stories told by Lindsay. That's my job. <laughs> a couple quick things. Big thanks to the Creeps and Peepers who came out to the Boise shows at the Egyptian a few weeks ago as this comes out. Uh, it was so cool to hear just a massive cheer when Lindsay came out on stage and when I mentioned so her cute. name. Yeah, it was, very, it was really cool. It was so cute. And the next day we had brunch with your family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and your dad was like, that was crazy. Lindsay, you didn't even have to do anything. You just came out on stage and people were on their feet. It's like, Aww. Dan should do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> now, Spoken it, like a true dad. It was a lot, a lot of creeps and peepers in the VIP meet and greets, you know, yeah. that, that came over to the stand up from this show. Mm-hmm. So very much appreciated. And Lindsay will be at the uh, uh, rest of the shows for the Burn It All Down tour. Yay. So that'll be fun. Yeah, we got a uh, Sacramento, Denver coming up after uh, this episode drops. Then it's San Antonio and Dallas, mm-hmm. Seattle, Pontiac, Michigan, Indianapolis, New Orleans, Philly, and more. You can go to dancummins.tv for ticket links. And sorry, I forgot to bring you on the stage in Spokane. That was the one show where people didn't see you. Well, just the second show, Spokane. Yeah, just the second show. I, I he, froze up. He was like, I don't even like her. She irritated me in between <laughs> no. shows. I'm not having it. Uh, new tea in the store inspired by a story we told here. Episode 168, The San Pedro Haunting, featuring the old man creepy ass ghost from that story. Uh, so many new cool things in the store this year already. Don't forget we have those Valentine's uh, that, that collection in the store also. They're so cute. You can check it out at badmagicmerch.com. And now Lindsay has the February, uh, oh my gosh. Charity. Charity announcements. Yes. The way I write it down, I had Patreon stuck in my head. Oh, that's okay. Where the money comes from. And then we're off into the stories. Okay, I got you, boo. Uh, okay, well, this month, of 
as per usual, we are recording in advance. We're working on making sure we never, ever miss an episode here. So while we do have the charity, we don't have the amount. But this month, we are donating to Teach for America. It's a diverse network of leaders who work to confront the injustice of education inequity through teaching. And you can learn more about what they do, donate or get involved at teachforamerica.org. It's a really it's cool. It's really, really cool. Like just... uh you know, you grew in, grew up in a place where yeah, our school system was 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 not great. You know, no. we, we didn't have good resources, and it was very hard to figure out how to get to college. Most kids, you know, when I grew up, did not go to college. Mm-hmm. You know, well, even just getting through high school, because not everyone's a college kid. But just well, yeah, we had a lot of, a lot of kids that didn't make it to graduation too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was very privileged that way to be a scholarship kid at a great private high school mm-hmm. but then i had to leave those those people behind because it was not a good like emotional fit for me yeah and i but i still went to a different less expensive private school and it's just like they're like college 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 i mean be be a nurse be a doctor be a teacher but like have a mm. career have a path have a passion and that alone just hearing that day after day for four years was enough to like kick my butt into getting myself to some semblance of college. Yeah, it helps for sure. Yeah. You got to have those mentors and that's what this organization is good at helping provide. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. So now transitioning to horror stories. Horror. What uh, tales do you have for us today, Lindsay Lou? Well, Danny Dudu, I have uh, my first story, somebody who is consistently able to see into the other side, into our mm. other realm, and has had many, many, many experiences. But this one experience stands out to them as something that they're not entirely sure what it is. Huh. An encounter in a hotel that occurs night after night. It's okay. really bizarre. And then my second story, um, odd. Maybe not like rock you to your core, but uh, this young woman loses her mom at a young age. And maybe, just maybe, her mom is coming back to defend and protect her. Okay. And then before I tell mine, has anyone listening, uh, uh, you can let us know on socials, have you seen Megan and what do you think, that new horror oh. movie? I saw the trailer and I want to see it. It's like a comedy horror, right? I don't know. I didn't get that from uh, the, there might have been some uh, comedic moments. I thought it was primarily horror. Okay. Uh, Monroe was not interested in watching it with me. I brought it up to her and she's like, what? nah, not my thing. And I'm like, oh man, it looks good to me, but who knows? Oh. Well, I did not see the trailer, but I read a like brief review yeah and they did say it was a comedic horror oh okay oh okay. like well, uh yeah. like night of the living dead like what am i trying to think of army of darkness army or, of darkness yeah yes. yeah all yeah. right all right well i like those too okay Meh. um i have my normal two stories the first is a haunted house story set in manhattan a home with just about the scariest title you could have the brownstone that sits at 14 west 10th street is known as the house of death oh that's fun Supposedly, a lot of people have died there over the years, and now it's one of the most haunted homes in America. So I'll share a variety of claims from numerous people who've lived there over the years and some tragedy that has occurred there. Okay, okay. My next story, the tale of uh, Jackson County, Florida's Bellamy Bridge. Has the ghost of a young bride been haunting this bridge since the mid-19th century? I'll cover the old origin story and an assorted smattering of supposed sightings and then go more in-depth into a modern encounter. Dan. Yeah. My first story is also in Florida. Okay. Oh, so it'll tra- be Florida, just a transition from Florida. Stay right in Florida. Just stay in the South. Sunshine, <laughs> warm. Get me out of this cold crap. You uh, you ready to perform your sock ritual as I, I am ready to set up some Look history? They're walruses. <laughs> when I lived with my best friend, Natasha, uh-huh. she was one of the funniest people I've ever 
spent time around just yeah. like she's such a goofball yeah and occasionally she would just do weird voices uh-huh. and walrus was one of her favorite things she would just like stand in the living room get really quiet uh-huh. she's a very tall person and she would get really like broad chested and then she would go walrus for no fucking reason whatsoever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you can see her doing it. Yep, yep. Ah, so uh, thanks to uh, fan Jason who sent these socks in. Happy holidays. Do you think Dan and you would consider visiting Syracuse, New York for a show soon? Yeah, I mean, I've been there before. So hopefully we'll get back there. Yes, yes. All right, let's do it. Okay, so a little bit of historical setup and then uh, we get into it. Number 14, West 10th Street, New York City appears to most as nothing but an unassuming revivalist Greek brownstone, no different than the many houses that surround it. However, none of those other neighboring homes have been named the House of Death. Millions of houses around the world claim to be haunted, but few have been claimed, like this particular house, to be so completely permeated with evil. This claim is not just based in the kind of entities witnessed and encountered at this address. It comes from the insane amount of tragedy that has befallen the house's residents over the years. Built in 1856, 14 West 10th Street was originally home to the wife of James Borman Johnston. Johnston was a real well-respected figure in the community, being the founder of the Metropolitan Railway. Oh, cool. He was also the founder of 10th Street Studio, a collective of studios and art galleries that helped local artists receive funding as well as a library. After Johnston passed away, his wife moved into 14 West 10th Street with their children. And all of them are rumored to have then died at the home in various, at various points. Or in the home. Uh, the house's insidious reputation seems to originate from the passing of the Johnston family, leading to many believe it is their spirits responsible for the negative atmosphere and the horrendous luck of future residents. There have reportedly been 22 deaths in the house since its construction. Is it possible that a house can cause someone to have bad luck? Can a house bring out the worst in someone and cause them to do terrible things? Or does it attract people who are already evil? These questions and more have come up when people have discussed the house of death. The following are just some of the stories of the most notable residents, notable either for their fame, experiences in the home, or both. Time now for the tale of New York's House of Death. Legendary author Mark Twain needs little introduction. To this day, he remains one of the most respected literary figures in American history. William Faulkner called him the father of American literature. Many still consider him to be the greatest humorist in the U.S. Uh, that the U.S. has ever produced. In 1900, at the height of his fame, he moved into 14 West 10th Street and fell in love with the property, but then only lived there for one year. Twain would note having several experiences with spirits in this house during his brief stay. He claimed to see shadowy, uh, you know, shadows seemingly moving about on their own. He heard odd noises he couldn't explain, and he often distinctly did not feel alone in the building. Twain later said he even once saw a piece of wood kindling levitate off the floor. At first, he thought it might be a rat moving the kindling, so he shot at it back when it was apparently somewhat acceptable to shoot at rodents inside your urban home. (laughs) After firing his shot, he was then horrified to find a small pool of blood on the floor, but no dead rat. He just could not figure out where the blood had come from. Twain stated that he was a definite skeptic, but his experience in the death house shook that view of the world up considerably. Understandably, this experience and others fascinated and perplexed him, but it would not drive Twain out of the house of death. It was a run of immense bad luck he experienced within that one year of residing in the house that made him leave. His novels were no longer selling well, and he was rushing to complete some new work, but he couldn't get his next novel out in time to avoid financial trouble, and he had to file for bankruptcy. Twain then became extremely depressed and decided he had to uh, to leave and live elsewhere. 
Many years later, on April 21st, 1910, Twain died in Danbury, Connecticut, but it seems that his spirit may have returned to 14 West 10th Street, at least for some visits. Over the years, numerous visitors have reported seeing his ghost roaming the halls of his former brownstone. In 1937, the house was converted into 10 condo apartments, and a mother and daughter, some of the first people to move in, quickly reported seeing what they believed to be Mark Twain's ghost sitting on a windowsill, instantly recognizing him by his famous mustache. They said his apparition wore a white suit and seemed agitated by their presence. According to their account, his spirit spoke, looking firmly at the mother and stating, My name is Clemens and I have a problem here I gotta settle. What problem could he have been referring to? What unsettled incident occurred occurred to him in the house? Some secret he never told? Uh, Mark Twain was his pen name, by the way. His actual name was Samuel Langhorn Clemens. Within an instant after speaking, his spirit vanished, but didn't stay gone. Others in years since have reported seeing the apparition of Mark Twain around the building, mainly walking up and down the stairs, which seems to be a definite paranormal hotspot in the house. And Twain has not been the only literary genius to grace the halls of 14 West 10th Street. It was also Edgar Allan Poe's last known New York address. Unfortunately, we don't have any documentation of his experiences in the house. I imagine, though, he had some stories to tell. Jane Bryant Bartell certainly had some stories to tell of her time in the house. She wrote an entire book about them. The actress, author, and psychic, and her husband, Fred, moved into one of the top-floor condos in 1957. Jane was often home alone because Fred worked in the restaurant industry and was often gone for nights and weekends. And on her very first day in the house, she sensed a strange chill in the air. She immediately disliked her new apartment, but there was a housing shortage at the time, and she felt like it would be too big of a hassle for her and Fred to start looking for another place to live again. Early into her stay at the house of death, Jan began to hear footsteps following her up and down the stairs as she moved throughout their large condo. She also occasionally felt something brush against her neck, what felt like someone's fingers, even when she had her hair pulled up. And Jan soon started to notice that her pets were behaving strangely. For instance, they'd show aggression, Baring their teeth and snarling, their hair would stand up on their backs and they'd bark for seemingly no reason. It was as if something invisible was disturbing them. One of her dogs most often seemed disturbed by an empty chair in the condo, like someone who couldn't be seen, someone whom the dog really didn't care for was sitting there. And then Jan herself began to see things. She spotted strange shadows moving around both day and night, sometimes just appearing at the periphery of her vision, sometimes clearly seen entering or leaving a room. Furniture also started to move about on its own. Jan often heard the sound of glass breaking, but could never find out where it was coming from, could never find any actual shards of broken glass. Her windows, dinnerware, and decor would all still be in perfect condition following every time she heard the noise. After experiencing strange shadows and phantom sounds, things continued to escalate. Jan later recalled after experiencing all that to now regularly encounter the distinct apparition of a maid in a long black dress and apron wandering through her apartment. Despite all this, she lived in the building for a total of seven years and recorded many of her experiences in a book called Spindrift, Spray from a Psychic Sea. Jan wrote descriptions of a monstrous moving shadow that followed her throughout the apartment towards the end of her time there. Odd smells would often appear and disappear at random, some of them pleasant like perfume, others foul invading her home with a rotten smell, like the scent of something dead or dying. Jan also wrote about rotten pieces of food actually materializing out of the ether and appearing on her and Fred's dining table. Ew. It was always a type of food that neither she nor her husband had recently purchased. She once saw a phantom shriveled grape appear on an empty plate when they had no grapes in their apartment. 
So strange. During the seven years Jan lived in the building, no fewer than nine other people also living there died and died in the building. She would write that she believed that the whole house was consumed with evil emanating from spirits attracted to the ever-building negative energy the building seemed soaked in. One day, Jane or Jan claimed to do something exceptionally rare when it came to the hundreds of stories we've covered here, and the hundreds more I'm familiar with, <clears throat> excuse me, that have never made it onto the show for whatever reason. She said that she saw the ghostly figure of a man standing in the hallway, and that she then bravely attempted something she had never done before, or heard of before. She reached out and tried to touch the apparition, and claimed that she did touch it. She described how it felt, saying the spirit was composed of a substance without substance, chilly, damp, diaphanous as marsh mist or a cloud or ether. She added, I could feel my fingers freezing at the tips. They were numb and yet they tingled. In the split second between contact and recoil, the scent came, fragile and languorous and sweet, unbearably sweet. Jan would eventually call on a paranormal investigator based in New York City, who was one of the most famous experts on the occult and supernatural in the world at that time, Vienna-born Hans Holzer. Holzer would write a total of 120 books, so many books, about the world of the paranormal, documenting what he'd experienced and the experience of others he investigated. After conducting his investigation, Holzer told them that he was certain that there was a powerful supernatural entity attached to the property, specifically under the ground-level floorboards of the home. What exactly it was, he didn't know, but he strongly felt it was not a good entity and that it was one of many. He informed Jan that he believed that there were at least 22 spirits haunting the building, some benign, others malevolent. He sensed the presence of a woman in a white dress, a little girl, a gray cat, demonic entities, and others. He believed that the house indeed was a magnet for supernatural energy, whether it be good or bad. Holzer also claimed when he conducted a seance at the property to have been briefly possessed by the spirit of a former resident, Rini Mallison. The spirit informed Jan and Fred and some others present that she died as a 19-year-old girl who'd been born in 1848, that her husband, Henry McDermott, had been killed in the Civil War. Following Henry's death, overcome with grief, she had ended her life inside the building where she had worked for the original owners. Holzer ordered Rini and all other spirits present to leave the house, but still speaking through him, Rini said, Never! I will never leave here! They will have to go! This is my home! I will never leave! After this encounter, Jan began writing Spindrift, that book documenting her life and her torment living in the house of death. And then she would personally add a chapter to the building's darkest legacy. Mere weeks after finishing her manuscript, Jan Bartel would be found dead inside her apartment. She died on June 18, 1973. Her book would then be published in 1974. She was only 51 years old. Some suspected she died of a heart attack. Others say she died of suicide because she suffered from depression. Still others think the house of death killed her for daring to expose many of its secrets. Let's now examine some of the house of death experiences of first a family who lived in the building and then second a man who lived next door but still experienced the powerful paranormal energy of the residents. The first of these last two sections of the story is filled with some pretty horrific true crime details. A heads up, since this is beyond what I normally include here, if you want to make sure anyone not ready for a story of some pretty severe domestic abuse and murder does not hear it. Joel Steinberg moved into the house of death with his long-term girlfriend, Hedda Nussbaum, and their two children in the early 80s. Both Joel and Hedda had successful careers. He was an attorney. She was a children's book editor and author at Random House. The couple adopted two young children, six-year-old Lisa and 18-month-old Mitchell. Shortly after moving to 14 West 10th Street, Joel lost his job, sources don't say why, 
It seems that maybe losing his job sent Joel on a major downward spiral, and the condo they shared turned into a den of drugs and neglect. Were dark forces working on Joel's mind, or was he already a terrible man, perhaps drawn to a terrible place? On November 1st, 1987, Joel beat his six-year-old daughter Lisa so badly she slipped into a coma and died. Earlier that evening, Joel had been busy getting ready to go out for dinner. Lisa walked into his room, asked if she could go with him, and then all hell broke loose. In a coke-fueled rage, he attacked Lisa and savagely beat her, Jesus. then carried her unconscious body into the bathroom, gave her over to her mother, Hedda. Instead of calling the police or heading to the hospital, Hedda laid Lisa down on the bathroom floor and waited for her to wake up. You'll understand why she may have been reluctant to call for help soon. Joel had long not been kind to her either. Joel now left for dinner. He returned around 10 p.m. Lisa was still unconscious in the bathroom. Instead of getting her medical, medical attention, he and Hedda snorted and, snoked, uh, snorted and smoked cocaine and drank and did other drugs for the next several hours. Finally, at 6.30 a.m. in the morning, when her daughter had still not woken up, Hedda called the police. And when she answered the door, her face was covered in bruises. The New York Daily News reported around 6.40 a.m., 911 operators got a pressing phone call from children's author and editor Hedda Nussbaum. She said that her six-year-old daughter Lisa wasn't breathing, so an ambulance was sent to her Greenwich residence right away. When the paramedics arrived, they were greeted by a very disturbing scene. They found Lisa lying naked and unresponsive on the kitchen floor, and her baby brother Mitchell tied to a playpen <gasps> and soaked in his own urine. Nussbaum herself was covered with bruises, had several broken bones. Investigators also discovered uh, marijuana, cocaine, hashish, and over 20 crack pipes and $25,000 in cash at the apartment. Hedda had nine fractured ribs, oh a God. fractured jaw, broken nose, bruises, cigarette burns, and I was especially shocked by this detail, her right leg was infected with gangrene. Paramedics were sadly unable to revive little Lisa fully. Emergency responders were able to get her to breathe with an oxygen machine, but she would never wake up. Her baby brother Mitchell was transferred into foster care. Joel Steinberg and Hedda Nussbaum were immediately arrested, charged with attempted murder. Steinberg had been reported before for uh, suspected abuse. The authorities had investigated the family in 1984, but couldn't find evidence of abuse or neglect at that time. Then on November 4th, Lisa was declared brain dead and taken off life support on November 5th. The coroner ruled her cause of death repeated blunt force trauma to the skull. And Steinberg and Hedda's charges were upgraded to first degree murder. And this incident, and this incident, excuse me, now led to the building being called the House of Terror, as well as the House of Death. Prosecutors claim that after using cocaine, Joel attacked both Lisa and Hedda the night Lisa died. Steinberg would go to trial in October of 1988. Hedda would testify against her husband in exchange for having her charges dropped. She spoke about how Steinberg had abused her for years. In March of 1989, Joel Steinberg would be found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to 8 to 25 years in prison. The judge told the court he would recommend strongly against parole. Steinberg told the court he felt no remorse because he didn't kill Lisa and that he too was a victim. Of what he didn't say, the drugs he chose to use, the building he lived in, did the building's energy infect this couple, was it just too much drugs that turned their world upside down, they had never been in that much trouble before moving into the house of death, what dark forces may have awakened in them. Steinberg would be released from prison in 2004 after serving 16 years, and at least as of a few years ago, living in Harlem. Now for one final quick chapter of the story, even neighbors are affected by the house of death's dark energy. Various residents next door reported their fair share of paranormal activity. Dennis, no last name given, is a photographer and long-term resident of the house next door to 14 West 10th Street, or at least was a long-term resident a little over a decade ago. He told the New York Post in 2012 that he had seen little clips and visions of women in long gowns going from room to room, 
and flickering lights and more for the 20 years he'd lived in the building next door. Dennis added, walls don't stop them from doing anything. He said that one night he was uh, photographing a dancer in his living room. He left her alone in the room, and when he returned, she looked like she was sick. She told him that a lady in a long dress, followed by a little cat, suddenly appeared out of nowhere and walked through the room. And then she quickly packed up her things and left. Dennis also reported seeing the apparitions of two women in long black dresses at numerous times and claims he has had other clients frightened to the point that they have left the building and never returned. Finally, he said that he owned several copies of Jan Bryant Bartell's book, Spindrift, Spray from a Psychic Sea, but they just kept disappearing from a bookshelf. Especially strange detail. Uh, the building is currently privately owned with full-time residents. For now, these people have kept any recent paranormal encounters they may have experienced to themselves. Oh, man. Maybe it's gone. Maybe. Because that seems wild that in 2023, if people are living there, if they're having paranormal experiences, it's on Reddit or something. Like, there's no way that no one's talking about it. Maybe. Or maybe they're older. You know, you know the residents. I mean, sometimes, oh, okay. you know, yeah. people aren't as quick to post online their experiences. Yeah. Because that's what I find um, especially fascinated about uh, all, of, all of the encounters, you know, you come across online is I, I wonder what, if, if someone were like to do a study, I don't even know how, was, how you do the study. What percentage of people who experience things like this mm-hmm. actually post them? I mean, how many listeners have we had that have been sitting, said they, they, they've never told the story before. That's they've true. been sitting on it for years. Like how many stories are out there? I guess in this instance, because the house is oh, has that reputation. famous, I would think, but maybe you're right. Maybe it is just like either non-believers, mm-hmm. older people, or people who are just like, I don't care. Maybe they, maybe they don't want uh, for resale value. Yeah, um, I wonder if there's like a as if it's a condo building in New York. Mm-hmm. There's probably a um, not an HOA, uh, but like a board, Something similar. Yeah, yeah, where and it's like a co-op, a co-op board, and maybe part of it is that like don't talk about that stuff. You don't if you experience it, like you, you don't get to talk about it. I don't know. I don't know if you can do that, but I have some pictures. Uh, this first one is fourteen, uh, just the the house. You know, house that's fourteen West Tenth Street. Okay. So yeah, it just looks like a regular brownstone. Uh, one more exterior pick from a 2022 list put together by Travel and Leisure called 10 Real Haunted Houses Across the United States. Again, just yeah. a regular house. Just It's that red one in the middle, yeah? Yep. And then an uh, interior shot now of one of the apartments up for rent at 14 West 10th Street. For $75,000. <laughs> yeah, actually. Uh, oh, that's, a, that's a big apartment. Guess what the current, current rent is? Well, it looks, I mean, they've photographed it well. They've staged it well. Guess what the current rent is for this two-bedroom, one-bathroom, 1,000-square-foot unit? And you said it's in Gre- right, Greenwich in- Village, one of 10 in the building. Yeah, two bedrooms, uh, one bath, 1,000 square feet. Between five and six grand a month. Good job, 5,600. Okay, because at first That's I was going go to go really far, mm-hmm. like 10, but I was like, well, you're not like... 5,600 is insane. It is, but it's Greenwich Village. Damn, yeah. And it's New York City. Yeah. And and when did, when was that uh, rent? Was that this year? Uh, right now, I think. Right I was, yeah. now, yeah, because well, you know during the pandemic, like so many people moved out, and mm-hmm. we have so many friends in New York that were like, "Oh my god, we got the deal of a lifetime!" Because people who own huge complexes couldn't afford to just have it completely empty. Totally. Yeah. Fifty six hundred. That's like <laughs> so many of our mortgages. <laughs> Here's a pic of uh, Jan Bryant Bartell, author of Spindrift Spray from a Psychic Sea. Right? Did the, you recognize? Her? I have no idea who she no, is. Okay, I did not. Uh, Spindrift. I'd never heard of that. By the, it, that means uh, spray blown from the crests of waves by the wind, or driving snow or sand. I didn't know that word. Um, I knew that word because there's a brand of bubble water called Spindrift. <laughs> Funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, here's that dirtbag Joel Steinberg. Oh man, what a pos with Lisa. The daughter that would tragically die. Ooh, that is a very creepy photo of her. 
I'm sure it's just because it's black and white, but she looks like a doll slash black eyed child. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, yeah, just the way the, the, the grain and all that. Yeah. And then here is Joel and Hedda shortly after their initial arrests. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, her face is I know. Her nose is messed up. up. Well, you, you could just see like a variety Oof. of swelling and mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That was a big, big uh, deal. Obviously, the trial uh, in New York at that time. Yeah. I didn't. And I'd never heard that of that case i mean sadly yeah. there's so and much there's so many that happens in the world that you know you can't keep up but um oh with them in particular so it sounds like prior to moving into that house they were just like two successful new york like a like a young successful yeah. new york couple right right yeah i couldn't find the exact timeline of like uh you know suspicions of mm-hmm. domestic violence i it sounds like they occurred after they moved in like things yeah. escalated significantly when they moved into that place mm. and that's when he lost a job and all that and they got you know really into drugs and yeah it's, it's just um yeah there was no paranormal occurrence with that specific but it was like such a big event that occurred at that exact same address right it would feel weird not to acknowledge it and then you know there's like chatter and places online it's like did the house influence them D- right. did they add to the already dark energy of the place you know yeah uh in the at the beginning when you were sharing various uh encounters in the house i thought it was so weird that that i think it was a mother and a daughter mm-hmm. recognized mark twain's yeah. ghost i yeah. don't think that i've heard that before where it's like um yes seeing a ghost it's like oh that was my grandma that was my mom like a, yeah, a yeah. family member but okay let's just say like all of a sudden you see the ghost of i don't know who's like a recent celebrity that passed away Betty okay, White. i was gonna say kobe bryant like you're just yeah. In your house and like Betty White shows up. That's weird. <laughs> totally. I don't I think I would laugh. I don't even know that I'd be yeah. scared. Yeah, and Mark Twain was, I mean, you know, he was a massive celebrity in his day. Yeah. You know, we still know his name now, but like he was like kind of like some people even within stand-up will will refer to him as like the first comedian. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I mean, he did wear, I, I can picture exactly what she's saying. He did, towards the end of his life, have a very recognizable mustache. Mm-hmm. And he and he did wear this white suit all the time. And so I, I can picture exactly what she is, uh, you know, describing. Okay, before I move on, just real quick. Celebrity you'd be most excited to see in ghost form and celebrity or like infamous person you'd be least excited to see in ghost form. Well, does infamous, infamous include like serial killers? Yeah, anything you want. Oh, okay. Uh, most excited to see. I would be pretty excited to see Betty White. I feel like she was such a nice person. I feel like that'd be a soothing paranormal encounter. Okay, okay. Like it just doesn't seem like that would be very scary. Like she had, she led a very interesting life. Yeah. Um, oof. Worst one to see. Um, trying to think. Like I mean, there's so many ties. Just like any, you would you would say just any serial killer. You just wouldn't want to so, see them. Yeah, there's so many serial killers that okay. we've covered. I'm thinking of like Randy Kraft and. Uh, and oh man, some other ones that were just especially brutal that I would not want to see. Okay, he, fair. Oh, wait, wait, he's still alive. He's still alive in prison. I, know, so. I, don't, I don't know enough about Bundy. Ted Bundy would be pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So weird. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to see anybody that's like. Yeah. It just I, I, whatever. We just have not ever seen that. William, William Bonin. I'm thinking of guys that, would, that attacked guys. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should yeah. just be afraid of all. Uh, serial killer ghosts because I'm a woman. Yeah, most, yeah, not the overall majority. Yeah. Like Bundy would be more terrifying for you because, mm-hmm. well, he liked brunettes and uh, he was so savage. Yeah. Yeah. I miss target demographic. Okay. Ready okay. to move on? I am. We're going to head uh, like a lot of people every winter from New York to Florida. Oh, yeah. Before we visit Bellamy Bridge, first we need to take a quick in between story sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Jump into the world of Wildcrats at Philadelphia's Please Touch Museum. Explore the world of this PBS Kids series in the Wildcrats Creature Power Museum exhibit opening May 31st. Discover animal habits from around the world as you swing through the trees like a spider monkey, sneak through the forest like a jaguar, hunt for lunch like a platypus, and much more in this adventurous new exhibit. Get tickets at pleasetouchmuseum.org. That's pleasetouchmuseum.org. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thank you for listening to our sponsor deals, creeps and peepers, a little bit of historical setup and a few brief details of encounters before jumping into the modern encounter horror story. So located a few miles north of the little town of Mariana, Florida, Bellamy bridge is haunted by the spirit of a bride searching for her husband. We're going to dig into some tragic history to maybe find out why. Way back, way back on May 11th, 1837, Elizabeth Jane Croom Bellamy married local politician Daniel or Dr. Samuel C. Bellamy. So I guess her name was Elizabeth Jane Croom, mm-hmm. and then it became, very briefly, Elizabeth Jane Bellamy. A young Elizabeth, just 18, had been born into one of the wealthiest families in North Carolina, had just moved to Florida to live with her new husband. Tragically, on their wedding night, Elizabeth had a terrible accident. During the reception, Elizabeth went upstairs to rest briefly, fell asleep, woke up to a burning sensation on her skin. (gasps) 
Unfortunately, it was not just a fever she was feeling. She might have survived that. Rather, she was burning in a much more literal sense. The sleeve of her dress had accidentally touched a candle flame mm. while she slept. And now, instead of grabbing something to try and put out the flames, instead of dropping and rolling, Elizabeth ran down the stairs, dress and hair both on fire, her movement fanning the flames ever higher. Elizabeth then died of severe burn injuries a few days later. Her last words were allegedly the same as one of her wedding vows. I will love you always and forever. Never will I leave you. Oh. Elizabeth was buried on the banks of the Chipola River. Elizabeth's husband, Dr. Samuel Bellamy, proceeded to struggle with alcoholism and depression for the rest of his life. His grief was immense, and he died a suicide 15 years after Elizabeth. His last wish was to be buried with his wife, but because he had died a suicide, the church in control of the cemetery forbid it. Oh, man. He could not be buried on consecrated ground. Elizabeth's spirit reportedly came back from the dead the moment he was laid into a grave he did not want to be placed into. Once he was not laid to rest next to Elizabeth's remains, apparently she had been waiting for him. According to local lore, Elizabeth loved her husband so much that her soul couldn't rest without him beside her, and now she returned from the dead to wander the banks of the river, searching for where he'd been laid to rest as if uh, his remains were somehow connected to his spirit. For over 170 years now, Elizabeth's ghost has been witnessed. And for over 100 years, her spirit has been most often spotted on Bellamy Bridge, which was constructed in 1914 on top of a wooden bridge built in 1840. There are numerous stories of people claiming to have witnessed Elizabeth's spirit crossing this bridge with balls of fire surrounding her. Some say they've heard her whispering her final words over and over. I will love you always and forever. Never will I leave you. Others have experienced cold chills or say they've seen strange lights, even a glowing fog. Elizabeth usually appears on quiet nights when all is calm in the swamp. She typically appears to people as a burning woman, walking through the swamps or even diving into the river to douse the flames. Written reports of encounters with her ghost go back well over a century. In the 1890s, the editor of the Mariana newspaper wrote, The Lady of Bellamy Bridge has been seen of late. In the early 1900s, there were so many reports of people running into the spirit that a lot of the area's residents started to refuse to cross that bridge at night. The following is a recent encounter story that, if true, proves that Elizabeth's spirit is still wandering the bridge in the 21st century. Time now for the tale of the burning bride. In spring of 2016, my girlfriend Jane and I went on a road trip from Georgia to Jackson County, Florida, to stay with her Aunt Rose for an upcoming wedding. The car ride was hell. No AC. It was hot and stuffy the whole time, and Jane wouldn't stop complaining that she didn't want to go to the wedding. <laughs> We had been invited to her cousin Kara's wedding the next day, and I suspected that Jane didn't want to go, mostly from some form of cousin rivalry. She didn't want to get there and, in her mind, see her cousin doing so much better than her, which wasn't even true. We were actually doing quite well ourselves, but in Jane's family, the comparison game is strong. I knew that they would all be wondering why we weren't engaged or married yet like her cousin. When we got there late that afternoon, Jane's aunt was, uh, was, aunt was thrilled to see us. She showed us what would be our room for the next few days. We started putting our things away, but were interrupted when Aunt Rose came back into the room, ushering Jane downstairs because Kara had come to visit. So I followed Jane downstairs to greet her cousin. And it was great. For Jane, at least. After 30 minutes, it seemed that Jane had forgotten all about her reluctance to be there. The three women were happily sitting in the living room talking to one another. I, however, felt a bit awkward and out of place. I was the only man in the house, and boy, could I feel that. <laughs> When Jane's aunt went to go get a box of old pictures, I wanted to excuse myself before I was stuck looking at baby and wedding photos of people I didn't even know for at least an hour. It wasn't late yet, and I wasn't particularly tired. What could be my excuse to get away? 
On the way to Aunt Rose's house, Jane and I had passed a cool-looking bridge that was part of some nature trail. Couldn't have been more than a 10-minute drive back down the road, so I decided I would go to check it out. I told Jane I wanted to go for a jog down the trail and that I would return soon. I think they were secretly grateful when I announced my departure, though, though they were all too polite to say so. I found the bridge easy enough, and up close, boy, did it look decrepit. Wasn't much left to it, actually. I wasn't sure if anyone was allowed to walk on or even go near the bridge. Even if it was open after eyeing it over, didn't look like any place I wanted to be. The trail near it looked cool, though. It was surrounded by a beautiful woodland and ran next to a river. So off I went. And immediately, things did not go as planned. As soon as I stepped out onto the trail after checking out the bridge, the temperature seemed to drop a good 10, maybe even 20 degrees. It was definitely an incredibly noticeable change and very odd for Florida weather. I shivered, wishing I had a jacket in the car, but I still continued with my hike. I shook my head and set off walking down the trail away from the bridge. I've been walking but two minutes when I saw what I can only describe as a beam of light shoot across the river out of the corner of my eye. At first, I thought it must be some car's headlights, but there was no way a car was getting down here unless there was a road at the other side of the bridge. After a moment of hesitation, I shook the confusion off and continued walking, but then stopped again when I heard someone call out behind me. Sam! A woman's voice echoed around. She sounded upset, almost like she'd been crying. Sam! The voice called again. Now I began to hear faint footsteps. I spun around looking for the woman, but no one was there. I was instantly on edge. How did she know my name? Jane had family here, but my family was from Georgia. I knew Jane's family was most likely busy prepping for the wedding. So who was this woman? And then I saw her, a figure in the distance, standing on the bridge. She was braver than me, I thought. The feeling of being on edge returned. Or maybe plain old fear is more what I felt. I wondered if I had heard footsteps behind me just a moment ago, how could this woman suddenly be all the way over there on the bridge? Something didn't feel right, but in that moment I wasn't sure what it was. Sam! She cried again, obviously in distress. Figuring she must know me somehow or have me confused with another Sam, a fairly common name, I decided to make my presence known to her. I yelled as I approached the bridge, Are you okay? Do you... Oh my God! I saw the same light from before streak past me. I was sure of it. And now it hit the woman. The next moment, she was on fire. <gasps> Flames were slowly engulfing the white dress she was wearing. As I ran towards her, I noticed the fabric looked large and ornate, like a wedding dress. I'm coming to help you! I shouted as I stepped onto the side of the side beams of the old rickety bridge. I swore I felt it shake with my weight. I could see the woman clearly now. She was very beautiful despite her distress with her hair in some extravagant style and makeup stains down her pale face. Sam! She cried again, flames creeping up the side of, the, of her gown. As I tried my best to navigate the old bridge, trying not to fall and doing my best to hurry up so I could help her, a few things occurred to me. I hadn't actually seen the woman's mouth move. The cry seemed to be coming from all directions, not directly from the woman. It also struck me as beyond odd that she wasn't screaming in pain, despite being burned alive right in front of me. In fact, she really hadn't shown much expression on her face at all. She simply stood there and looked at me. She seemed more focused on me than the flames eating away at her dress and her flesh. A shiver crept up my spine as the impossibility of it all passed through my mind. It had to be my imagination, I thought, as I tried my best to navigate my footing to reach the woman, who I was terrified would burn alive if I didn't reach her soon. I caught hold of a nearby tree branch and used it to balance myself as I got closer, just in time to see her turn her head and stare directly at me. My heart really started to race when our eyes met. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. Her skin on the left side of her face was bubbling, burning. Bits of flesh were now hanging off of exposed bones. But still, she was silent. 
My gas had almost tripped over the edge as she turned back to face the river. I wasn't sure how exactly to help her without hurting myself in the process. And then that problem was removed from me just moments later. She suddenly lifted her arms over her head and dove down into the water below in what I assumed was an attempt to douse the flames. I stood there in complete shock. The woman had totally disappeared. I could see that the water wasn't very deep. I would definitely have seen her come back up or try to come back up, but I didn't see any of that. I couldn't see a floating white figure of any kind in the river. She was simply gone. I frantically scanned the water in case she had somehow drowned and was floating down river beneath the surface. Still, she was nowhere to be found. I even got down from the bridge, walked up and down the banks of the small river, waded into the water near where she had jumped. I ended up soaked to my bones and giving myself quite a chill, but still found nothing. How had she disappeared so thoroughly? Where had she gone? Should I call the police? I wasn't sure what to do or who to call. What would I say to the cops? That I heard a woman I didn't know screaming my name, that I saw her burning alive, but she had no reaction, and then she jumped into the water and disappeared. None of it was believable. I could barely believe it myself. Eventually, I decided to drive back to Aunt Rose's house. It was late now, just after sunset. I checked my phone and realized I had a few missed calls from Jane. The girls were all shocked when I walked in, still a bit wet, and looking like I had just seen a ghost. I realized I was shaking as I recounted my story to them. After explaining the events that had transpired, it became apparent that I had indeed seen a ghost. A local legend. Jane's aunt told me the story of Elizabeth. I checked the internet for confirmation, which I got. I will never forget what I saw that day. I still see Elizabeth sometimes in my dreams, that moment when we locked eyes, and I watched her not react as her flesh burned. How could I, or anyone, forget such a terrible sight? Did you hear that sound? Mm-hmm. It was your um, water bottle popping back out. Oh. I, I recognized it immediately. I was like, what just happened? My heart was in my <laughs> stomach. I was like, she here? No, nope, no. Nope. That's a great story. Yeah. Interesting yeah. local legend. He's so lucky he didn't get hurt. Yeah, like just, yeah, yeah he, I wonder. Yeah, just like he's lucky. Would the that, fire actually have touched him? Oh no, I mean like the bridge was oh, so rickety. It's, I have some pictures. It is there is not much that just the frame remains. Yeah. So this, uh, yeah. Here's a picture of Bellamy Bridge. Yeah, just a steel frame and steel cables. Not much at all to stand on if you were to try and cross it. Oh my gosh. You know, and they it, have obviously that that the wooden little fence there, kind of blocking it off. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't think I've actually up close ever seen a, just a bridge frame like that. Yeah, I don't know that I have either. I'm also laughing to myself. Like, I love it when uh, like city ordinances are like, okay, we're going to put this wooden frame here and it's definitely going to keep people yeah, yeah. from climbing on this bridge. It's like, or you could just go around it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know it's a deterrent, but is it? Here's another picture with a better shot of the river uh, that she jumped into underneath. You know, pretty small little river. You know, quiet. Oh, okay, but the... Bridge isn't that high above it either. Mm -mm. Yeah, you. I don't think you get hurt unless you like fell into a shallow part of the river and hit something. So theoretically, if she jumped in, and now I understand more why he's like, I should have seen her because I was thinking exactly. like bridge far away from mm -mm. the body of water. I don't know, ten feet or so. Yeah. And then a uh, old portrait uh, of Elizabeth. Now she was. Uh, yeah, she was a beautiful bride. Just uh, her and her bridal outfit. Oh, yeah. And that, I love that classic. What year was it? 18? It was like early 1800s, like 18, I think, was it 30 something? Yeah, yeah. This classic style of um, like skin yeah. tight with um, like the bustier sort mm -hmm. of portion and then the little like ruffle over the booty and the <laughs> sheer panels. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is cool historical very, photo. very accurate. I feel like those gloves are very classic. <laughs> mm -hmm, yes. Mm -hmm. The gloves are really what does it for me, too. 
I yeah. I may have found that by just putting in a uh, uh, bridal cosplay. Oh, bridal cosplay. I, <laughs> I thought you were going to say like trashy bride. <laughs> uh, there are no pics of Elizabeth, but here is someone's recreation of what a sighting of her ghost uh, may look like. That would be terrifying to see. Mm-hmm. Just some phantom figure of a of a bride. Just a distinctive bridal dress. Mm-hmm. The veil mm-hmm. over the face. The veil, yeah. She's not on the bridge, off. though. So yeah, that's uh, that was taken near the bridge, just like a little trail system. Yeah, it's not like someone went out there and did a little photo shoot. I like it to recreate the legend. I like it. I like it very much. Uh, in that story, yeah. when she dies and then her husband dies later, I I've never thought about this. Like, why can't they find each other in the spirit world? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, that was, a, yeah, I, thought, I got a little hung up for a second on that too. It's like, who cares where his body is? Yeah. Um, I don't know what, why that was part of the lore. I mean, obviously it could just be all made up. Right. Would well, explain it. But if, if, if true, why would that bother spirit? But I think that she's just endlessly searching for him. She can't find his spirit either. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Why can't, why? I don't know. And that's odd to me. Mm-hmm. I guess I never considered that. I just assume that all spirits can find each other but then i guess that's like saying well like how can you not know your ancestors who live in another country like you should just be able to find each other yeah which we don't expect so that is a a common a common thing where a lot a lot of times you know this ghost appears in the i mean it's not like anybody sits down and interviews the ghost (laughs) but the thought why are what are you doing very funny thought barbara walters (laughs) (laughs) ghost barbara interviewing right ghost so-and-so like so why is it that you can't find your husband? What, what is it that's happening? <laughs> what exactly is going on here? What, what's what's your holdup? Like what yeah. what happened to you that you feel like you can't emotionally process this and move on without him? And that's what like leads me to believe that there is some, at least you know, there's probably so many different things out there in the paranormal world, so many. But one of them is just like these weird like echoes. Uh huh. The loop kind of the situation. Loop. So like, how sentient is the entity in the loop? Is it really the spirit of the person, or is it just? I don't know what to call it other than just like a strange echo, like a glitch yeah. almost. Just like debris. Like energy, like psychic energy that just got stuck well, in sure. that place. I mean, that makes sense to me personally, just because I do subscribe to like, we're all energy. Yeah. And when we leave, our energy has to go somewhere. Like our physical being may not, may no longer be here, but like, yeah. what about the energy of our spirit and what we give off and where does mm. that go? And does it just dissipate into the ether or does, does, th- does some stay in a loop and then the rest goes off into some other world? Yeah. Who knows? I just was envisioning like a blender essentially where it's like, uh, like a little bit of your energy yeah. hangs around and then s- some mythical creatures like, oh, I have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and then I'm going to put it in the blender. And now we've got a new person and <laughs> you send them into the real world and like, good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't we have a bride fall down the stairs last week? We did. I know. I was thinking I, I was that. Like, Wait a second. Right. Am I losing Banff, my mind? In the Banff Hotel, that uh, I can't remember the actual name of the hotel. Like Banff something Springs, maybe I don't know. That big the some the Castle resort. of the Rockies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, um, okay. Yep. <laughs> We're on a bride theme. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's totally fine. <sighs> this Layla, by the way, is about to not have arms. They Why? are hanging. I don't even know what happened. Just What'd when you I do to smush her? it, somehow the arms got. They're hanging on by threads. So this may be. This may soon be an armless Layla. Black-eyed Layla. Mm-hmm. Oh, Layla's really. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. A rough. A little worse for wear. Oh, don't rip them off and throw them at me like you often do. I thought about it. Okay. I'm sure you did. I recently found a Layla arm on the floor. Oh, I can see it. <laughs> I see a little red Layla arm down there. I know. I got uh, too much in the habit of like throwing things at Monroe, like at dinner, like restaurants, stuff like that. Yeah. And now she is way into throwing food. She thinks it's hilarious, <laughs> and I feel bad because like I started that. And now she, um, yeah, she likes to throw stuff around at dinner I th- I pretty think, often. I think also, like, every time you would do it, I would say something like, stop it. And mm-hmm. you're like, ah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. 
See? No, no, here we are. Yep. <laughs> uh, I'm not a killjoy. Just like, you know, I see what happens. Kids absorb your behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So let's dig into these tales. I'm excited for my half of the show. Uh, we are back on the road. So we're staying in a lot of hotels. Mm. And uh, when this story came up, I thought like, great. I hope this scares Dan, not me, into being afraid to being in a hotel. <laughs> I just, I only want you to be scared. Yeah, you want me to come to you for comfort? Yes, yes. Because if I see something, meltdown. If you see something, probably not so much. All right. Right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I feel like if me, if I was really scared, I think it would just f- immediately freak you out as well. Oh, that's true. That's true. And before I dive in, did you feel anything in our hotel when we were in Boise? Mm-mm. I thought that hotel room felt really good. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't pick up on anything at the Egyptian theater either. But people kept haunted. saying like, oh my God, this place is so haunted. Mm-hmm. But nothing happened to me. Yep, me either. Okay. Well, I guess we're clear. Well, let's find out what did happen to our, our fan here. Good day to the queen and the king of the suck. Uh, I have many stories and encounters that I could share, but I'm hopeful that with your help, I can find out what this one particular entity is. The event marks the no turning back point of my spiritual journey. Every word is absolutely true. Not long ago, I was on a special detail for work that required a lot of travel in Florida. Many hotels over many months, all of which had their fair share of non-corpial guests. Nothing new to me, but it was always creepy. This hotel was just outside of Largo, Florida, which also has its fair share of hauntings and happenings. I had a large family suite on the second floor and could feel it as soon as I stepped off the elevator. Deep breath in, full exhale, and we're moving. (laughs) Down the hall to the T formed by the hallways intersecting. Turn right, and there she was. I'm not sure who saw whom first, but I followed my usual routine in these situations. Head down, eyes up, keep it moving. Usually, an entity would visually disappear within seconds, but not her. As she watched me walk past, I could feel desperation coming off of her in waves. She looked to be unhealthy and in her mid-thirties. She wore a white, full-length nightgown and had medium-length dark hair, mostly obscuring her features. She watched me make my way to my door and remained standing in place while I got myself into the room. Later that evening, I was settling into bed, and there she was, standing and staring from halfway across the room. While avoiding eye contact, I told her, if you need help, I'm here to listen. But staring at me like this is creepy. Please stop. A couple of seconds later, she was gone. And so I went to bed. I had to be out on the floor at work the next day by 6 a.m. and returned to the hotel around 8 p.m. that night. Feeling tired, hungry and dirty, I set about the usual shower, dinner, TV until I could wind down enough to sleep routine. And I was almost there when I felt her her desperation. She needed something and I wanted to help, but I couldn't get a sense of what it was she needed. Pretending I wasn't freaking out, I nonchalantly turned over. She was standing at the bottom left corner of the bed, just staring at me. I actually shrieked a little. I sat up, expecting her to be gone as soon as I did so, but she wasn't. I told her, look, I really... And she disappeared, but I continued, knowing she could still hear me. I really want to help you, but scaring me isn't going to work. Either tell me what happened or leave. I'm tired and I have another long day tomorrow. (laughs) I waited for a breath, two breaths, three, nothing. No visions, no vibes. 
I settled in, muttering to myself about how rude the dead can be. Workday again. Floor by six, back by about seven or eight, bedtime routine. Freshly showered, I snuggled into the pillows with my local barbecue dinner and the remote. (laughs) About halfway through, I see and feel her across the room. This time, I actually felt fear. Real fear. Not the, isn't this a good, scary movie fear? but the weak bladder, racing heart fear I've only experienced with a few very serious entities. I faked it as best I could and said sternly, Listen, I don't know who you are or what you need because you won't communicate. Tell me what you want or get the fuck out. I'm tired (laughs) of this shit. Nothing. I couldn't see her anymore, but I could definitely still feel her presence. Groundhog day three. Floor shower food. She didn't come. I thought, okay, good. She either got what she needed or decided I wasn't the one. A full belly and a little TV later, and I'm drifting off to sleep on my right side. And that's when I feel it. Pressure behind me on the mattress. Right hand. Left hand. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Right knee. The pure hatred flowing out of her and over me. Heart racing, I begin to roll over towards her to tell her to stop when I feel the pressure of her left knee climbing onto the bed. I start to say something but I can't finish. Halfway onto my back, my body is frozen in time and the horrific, half-mummified face of this thing inches from mine. Suddenly, she darts her head forward and to my left. She purses her lips to my ears and begins sucking in. (sighs) Hard. I start screaming. I think I'm screaming. Can't anyone hear me screaming? It's been an hour. Or has it only been 30 seconds? Time has stopped and the pain is all I can comprehend. Please stop, please stop, please stop. She's at the foot of my bed and I can breathe again. When did I stop breathing? My ear. Oh, can I hear? Oh my God, the pain. She's at the foot of my bed, no longer the mummified hag, but a beautiful woman in her early 20s. She smiles, wipes her chin, and is gone. I wrapped myself in a a protective bubble of light and lay there wide awake the rest of the night, left ear ringing the bells of hell. The next morning, on my way out, I stop at the desk and ask if there's another room I could have. (laughs) Of course not. Why? Is something wrong? I tell her that I know I sound crazy, but the room seems to be haunted. She gets big eyes and says she's sorry, but this is the only room she has available until Friday. Ugh. I tell her no worries and head to the breakfast area for coffee and snacks. While there, I see someone who works in the kitchen and I ask her, Hey, do you ever hear of weird stuff happening around here? She gets a scared look on her face and asks, Are you on the second floor? (laughs) Of course I was. She then proceeds to tell me that they have problems all over the second floor. People often asking for new rooms, lights freaking out, the whole bit. Hell, according to her, some of the cleaning crew refused to even go onto that floor. Floor, shower, dinner. There she is, across my room, and now she's pissed. But I tell her to piss off. She's not welcome. I command her to leave. And she did. I tell myself, I'm halfway through the week. Then I can go home, and it'll all just be some scary story to tell around the fire someday. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday. I go home, feeling relieved, even though my left ear and the left side of my face, my neck, and my head still hurt so badly. Mm. After a few days of my regular routine at home, I start to see a small Victorian-era boy in my house. I encourage him to find his family in the light, but he isn't leaving. Not unusual per se, but the kids are usually pretty quick to go. Night three, and he's standing in my bedroom door. After my encounter at the hotel, I had set a ward specifically for my bedroom to keep me safe. I start to talk to him, and all of a sudden, I can feel her. And then I knew it. 
She had followed me home and disguised herself as this boy. My ear starts ringing and the boy starts to grin. I'm holding my ear, wincing in pain as I call the monster out on her bullshit. I command it to leave. And after a beat, it did. But for three more weeks, every night, that bitch would stand on the other side of my door while I hurled every prayer, hex, and curse at her I could think of in an effort to keep her away. Little by little, she withered back to the mummified hag, and then she was gone. And I don't know where she went. I assume back to the hotel? I do know that to this day, when it comes to mind, my left ear and my jaw remember exactly what happened. I mean, just telling you this story has me reaching for the ibuprofen. What was that thing? A wraith? A vampire of some sort? What? Does anyone know? Please help. Madam Meadow. Madam Meadow. Thank you for that story. That is creepy. Creepy. And I love it from this person who clearly is in touch with the other side. Like That's what I like too, like the jadedness that you yeah. that, that anyone would get where if you're seeing things on a regular basis, like if uh, that's just part of your life, is yeah. you're able, like you said, like see the other side. Uh, I hadn't really thought of that either before or just in a while about just human nature. You just mm-hmm. acc- acclimate to things, whatever, you know, your realities were so uh, malleable as, as a species. True. And that it's it, it, funny to me that you would just, yeah, of course, I guess, just acclimate to seeing ghosts all the time mm-hmm. and to have that confidence to be like, to see something that would, for me, I would not having seen something like that. I would lose my shit. Right. But for her just to be like, get out of here. Like, like irritate it. Yes. I'm yes. trying to sleep. <laughs> I know. I thought it was pretty comical that she was like, leave me alone. I yeah. got, I'm tired. I have to go to yeah. work tomorrow. Not tonight. It's like, it's like talking to a toddler. Yeah. Like, listen, mom's got to sleep. Go to bed. You're fine. Ooh. And then, and then like, yeah, what happened in the bed that night to, uh, to leave, leave her with, you know, pain. Mm-hmm. How, that's not a, um, an encounter type. I feel like I've heard where it was like, what's it trying to do? Like suck her brain out like to just put your pursed lips up against an ear and like like what is i mean like an energy suck i just specifically the ear i I don't know that i've heard that maybe Mm. like if if, super disturbing detail yeah if she would have said like it tried to put its mouth on mine yeah yeah, you know and like suck air out that would somehow make more sense to me but and also uh, that, that that story had a lot of um, you know very scary and unique details, and the one that I think creeped me out the most was the boy turning into her. Yeah, because I just forget about that. I mean, I mean, because so often in these stories, if someone's seen the apparition of a little boy, then it's a little boy spirit. Mm-hmm. If they've seen the apparition of this or that, and it, like with Ouija board stuff, there's yes. lots of stories of something pretending to be something else, but you don't see that. That's right. I thought the same thing. Yeah. Just to visually see like that and like, no, that's not a little boy. And then the grin and then the, the woman returns. <laughs> I know. Lots you of chills d- in that story. Just like the mouth like slowly going from like this little boy. I just imagine it like a curtain, like, mm-hmm. you know, like a big reveal. Oof. But how, okay. Also, Madame Meadow is a fucking badass. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. like tough and brave. And like, I didn't really know about setting awards. Then I was reading about how to do that. I don't know. It was just fascinating and, and uh, eye-opening in a variety of ways. Yeah. It was a good one, huh? Mm-hmm. Florida. Florida. I What's feel tough? like Florida and uh, Indiana <laughs> are the two places that I feel as though come up the most. Yeah, maybe. I know. I know. It would be interesting to have like a map. Mm-hmm. You know how like uh, at a restaurant, some, they'll, they'll put those maps on the wall, the and pins. little pins, like, mm-hmm. you know, put the pin from where you're from so you can see who's coming to this restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we did like a, a series of pins based on like where our stories come from, 
Yeah, Indiana is in the running for the most of them. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Florida's a lot. Uh, Ohio, I feel like there's been a lot. Fair amount, yeah. It, it does Man. make sense, that, like, if you just think about... Mm-hmm. What parts of the country have existed the longest? Well, actually, with New England should have the most then. Should, well, but like people would then infiltrate. As, yeah. I would think like people would start to migrate sure. in and down before obviously coming this way. I mean, mm-hmm. we know that, right? So I guess, I don't yeah. know. Who knows what the rules are? I know early on in the show, we did have a fan send, in us, um, send us in like a very cool map that we were supposed to be pinning, but... Just, you know, there's so only busy. so many days, so many hours <laughs> Oh, yeah, days. I love that. That is a very cool map. Yeah, I yeah, know. I can picture it right now. Yeah, we have it out there. Yeah, no, yeah. it's very cool. It, it's there. It just doesn't have any pins. <laughs> Sadly, like one of these days, like when we're, when this is all like, hopefully many years from now all done, then we'll have everything nice and tidied up. I know, I know. <laughs> but won't be talking about it anymore. I imagine just like paying somebody like, hey, um, we'll pay like a hundred bucks if you could just come in here and uh, just word find all the documents and uh, yeah. put pins. <laughs> just like imagine our kids doing that for some extra cash. Yeah. Okay. Well, interestingly, I'm sticking with female hauntings. Okay. And I think yours were female. The first one was all over the place. Yeah. A smattering. Yeah, really all over the place. Mix of man, woman. And then the second one, the encounter was from the perspective of a male. But a but female. But the entity was female. And then I had female entity and I have a third female entity. So mm. women crushing this episode. Hail Lucifina. Hail Lucifina. Um, okay, so this girl, this this young woman, I should say, her mom passes away. And then, you know, life is hard after mm. losing a parent. Yeah. And by the end, I... I there's this one final detail that you're like, oh shit, was it her mom? Hmm. And I loved it. I okay. loved it. Dear king and queen of the bad magic death suck. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah. My name is Kelly and I've been listening to Scared to Death since the very first episode after I heard Dan announce it on Time Suck. Oh. Now, onto my story. This could all be a coincidence. Sure. I don't have all the evidence. But do you always need tangible proof to believe? I grew up with a single mother whose health declined as I grew up. Eventually, I became her caregiver on top of working, going to college, and completing an internship. My mother was on oxygen 24-7, had severe arthritis in her legs and ankles, and used a wheelchair regularly, and was eventually diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea. I'll spare you all the details. But when it became obvious that I was no longer capable of caring for her on my own, she entered a nursing home. My mom was the best. She was my best friend, my biggest supporter, my shining light, and now my guardian angel. My mother passed away at 58 years old, a week after I turned 25. Everything that is great about me, I owe to her. She instilled in me a love of Halloween and horror from the age of five Mm -hmm. when she would let me peep from behind her chair while she watched scary movies. (laughs) She raised me to become the creeper I am today. She extravagantly decorated haunted houses at my elementary school's fall festivals, inspired me to read anything I could get my hands on, and always encouraged my curiosity. It was fitting that the last time I saw my mother alive was Halloween. I hugged her tight, and my last words were, I love you. To me, it wasn't necessarily the end. And while cleaning her room, I found a letter that said how proud she was to be my mother, and she would try to visit me from time to time from the other side, even if it was just a dream. After her passing, the reality of having to live alone came crashing down upon me. I barely had enough time to begin grieving my best friend when I realized how hard it would be to live alone, even in my small rural town. All the financial responsibility to survive was now mine, and I didn't have a car. I didn't want to leave the apartment we had shared. It felt safe here, but my shitty retail job was barely cutting it, and I was caring now for my mother's dog. After reconnecting with an ex-co-worker, 
we agreed that she would move in with me. Her explosive personality and constant Mm. drama in her work life, relationships, and friendships all should have been a massive red flag to me. But I was so desperate to not be alone that I overlooked it. She stepped over my boundaries countless times, forced me into uncomfortable situations, and would blow up on me out of nowhere. Anyways, we started by cleaning out my mom's old room to clear space for her. Not wanting to stay with her family anymore and wanting as much independence as she could get as soon as possible, my friend began sleeping on the couch in the living room. Within a few days, she would have a few small random scratches appear on her body. It was odd, but it was an older couch and it wasn't in the best shape. Just a few random small ones that would sometimes seem meaningless. Still, I'd never gotten a scratch from that couch. We thought it was weird, but we moved on. She moved her bed in and stopped sleeping on the couch, but still found new scratches on her legs and arms, just all over in random spots. It wasn't my dog. He was just a small three-pound chihuahua that my roommate (laughs) hardly played with. A pattern emerged. We would get into several fights where she threatened to move out or threatened not to move in with me, and then she'd notice a scratch. Once she was moved in, she allowed some random guy we barely knew to come into our home stay for an undetermined amount of time so he could use her for food, a warm bed, and other things. (laughs) More scratches, longer ones now. Everything came to a head one night, a screaming match erupted, and I kicked her out. She moved out that night. But the scratches didn't stop. They only got worse. They were longer and deeper and now on her back. She went back home to live with her parents, and yet the scratches continued to appear. We didn't speak for nearly a month, And when we reconnected, it was over a really stressful work situation. Some people deserve second chances and forgiveness. And while she'll never be my roommate ever again, and I'll never allow her to disrespect my boundaries, we are now friends. She brought up that even at her home, she was still waking up to the random scratches, and they were becoming rather painful. We were completely stumped. It wasn't the couch. It wasn't her bed. It wasn't the apartment. I don't know. We'd made amends, and then she never had the issue ever again. Her scratches healed and faded away. And eventually, it came to me, and my friend agreed. My mother was always (laughs) extremely protective of me and was very proud of her naturally very long, healthy, strong nails. Funny. Could it all be a coincidence? Sure. But protective guardian angel mom just feels right to me. I love that. I love that too. It's that fine because it's like it's just kind of like odd. Okay, it could be anything, but then that last detail, you're like, oh shit, it was her mom. Yeah, protective mama bear. I know. I love it. And following her, it's like you make amends with my daughter, or else I'll get you. Or, yeah, I'll just keep scratching the shit out of you. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah. Would you do it? Would you haunt it, it, oh, like people about oh, their kids? For sure. If if I was able to do that and be protective of them, like you know, and somebody was harassing them, absolutely, I would want to do that. I love that it's just like scratches. Like we're not talking about like breaks I'd going wanna, out. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't want. Yeah, depends on what they no were doing. No one's dying, but like right. people are disturbed and upset, and mm-hmm. then a little bit of pain. Hmm. Hmm. I know. I even think about like just in this life how protective I am of the kids. Like, yeah. When Kyler had a bad breakup uh, like a year ago. And yeah. I, I literally. I was like. I'll shiv a bitch. And he was like, Lindsay, I'm like, no, I don't mean it. But also yeah, like, yeah. do you want, do I mean to have words with her? I will, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you can't help yourself. That parental side of you comes out or just like anytime you love somebody, like totally, we have a friend going through a terrible yeah, breakup Yeah, and it's better this way, but I'm like, I, I will, I'll hurt him. And he's <laughs> yeah. not even a bad guy. It's just nope. like, you know, when you love, you love all the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that story. Me too. The, I love both your stories. Very, very good ones. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm feeling very goofy today. 
Do you want to uh, start off thanking our Annabelles or do you want me to? You know what? I would love to. Thank you so much. All right. All right. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for helping us to donate again to Teach for America. And just for supporting our show here every week. We are so thankful for you guys. We are so thankful. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool thing that we get to do. Lori Ortiz, Joel Canseco, Kyle Bunner, Paul Lyon, Amy Cressman, Jay, Lisa Bohannon, Joshua Jose, Hosey, Dan, is that you? It's me. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks for your money. Huh? Vicky Donahue, Lydia Corinne Beckwith, Alex Nail, Monkey Making Meech. I don't, I don't know what that is. I think it's supposed to be Money Making Meech. I think I have a typo here. Okay. Even still, I don't understand. Who knows? <laughs> it's some inside joke. <laughs> Zach and Ashley Woods. Nice. And now I, I suddenly felt compelled to Aaron Neville these <gasps> names because they're. Oh my God. Can you first do. <laughs> I don't know much. But I know how I love you. Okay, let's hear your names, Aaron. Me, all I need to know. <laughs> this is what I live with. <laughs> you psycho. I want Bill McKee and Alex Hero and Ashley Jackson, Megan Proctor, <laughs> Karen Fry, Charlene Bilbro, Swarty Locks and Eric Flores, Stormy Anguish. West Torres, Christina Process, John Cummins, Nina Gina, Vinton, Lil <laughs> Shane Even Nine, and Aaron Beauty. That last one was your best one. Thanks. Do you think you should run through them regularly? Because I couldn't understand a word you were saying. <laughs> and these okay, people, sure. well, well, we all find it funny. They might okay. be like, was, was that my name? I'm not sure. Thanks to Bill McKee, Alex Sierra, Ashley Jackson, Megan Proctor, Karen Fry, uh, Shalon, Bilbro, uh, Swoldilocks. I love that. It's my favorite one this week. I love like a gym one. Sw- Swoldilocks. Eric Flores, Stormy Anguish, Wes Torres. Christina Prices, John Cummings, Nina Gina Vinton, uh, Lil Shane Even Nine, and Aaron Pier, uh, Pierotti. Pierotti. Pier- it's, like, it's like P I E R R O T T I E. Pierotti? Pierotti? I don't know. I don't know. Well, there you have it. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much you for bet. stopping by the studio. <laughs> That's our show. No, uh, it's no. not. I have Spoopy shout outs. You got Spoopy Thank you. Yeah. Uh, to my sweet chicken little <laughs> from your mother goose. Happy 10th birthday. I love having a scary story, buddy. I'm proud of you and I love you so much. To Jason from Kyle. Happy birthday. And to Jacob from Megan. Happy belated birthday. I can't wait to marry you and spend the rest of my life with you. Aww. I love you. I know it's so cute. They've been together for nine years. And they're getting married over camp weekend. So she's cool. she said, I'm, listen. I really want to come to camp, <laughs> but I guess I have to get married. Yeah. See you next year. You're waiting for nine years. <laughs> All right. We get it. <laughs> and now that is our show. Sorry for jumping the spooby shout outs. I even have a note to not do that. Uh, <laughs> thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Keep them coming. You can email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Tyler C. for the work on social media uh, with Ryan Handelsman and his team. And to Logan again for running BadMagicMerch.com. Thank you to Tyler C. for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. And to our book editor, Drew Atana, for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number four. Thanks to producers Olivia Lee and Sarah Finch for finding my first story today. And Sarah Finch for finding the second. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch this show. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content, see the pictures that accompany episodes, 
at Scared to Death Podcasts. And we have a private Facebook group for you to get in there and meet some horror lovers, creeps and peepers. And you can follow us on TikTok, also at Scared to Death Podcast. And if you don't want to hear ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes and more, please find us on Patreon and enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared today. Bye, y'all. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Add Magic Productions. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big money.